tell you what, Stevie Wonder, you can play him all day, all night for me. Love certainly is in need of love today. It's 21 past 7. You're with SFM 104 to 107. This is the JSB. I'm Michelle Constant, and I'm with you till 10 o'clock this morning. Some great uh, interviews lined up, including one with uh, the author of a book called These Are Not Gentle People, Andrew Harding, and our guest presenter is Pat Horn as well. On the line with us, we have Jess Arbach. She's a senior lecturer in anthropology at the Northwest University. And uh, there's been a special edition which has been put out by the South African Journal of Science, or ASA, asking experts in the humanities and social sciences to weigh in on the COVID-19 story. So we're hoping that uh, we haven't quite lost her yet. Um, We're going to try and get her back on the line. It's an important story because it does talk to the idea that COVID-19 is not simply a story about uh, the sciences, but also about the humanities as well. Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Jess, uh, talk to us about um, the different narratives that we could be looking at and should be looking at. We can look at sociology, we can look at history, uh, education, but uh, there are you know, some interesting takes as well around philosophy and indeed in your own space, anthropology as well. Yeah, so I think this, this journal, um, the special edition, is really asking that we pay attention to the things that have maybe been left out of the public debate so far. So there's been a lot about our bodies and about how to respond to the biomedical needs. But these papers are really speaking to our social needs. Uh, you know, in philosophy, how do we, how do we make the right decisions uh, in terms of what we listen to, how we obey the rules? Uh, even in law, Suleiman Bontello did a beautiful piece uh, asking what are the social consequences of some of these um, these policies that have been implemented so quickly. And, you know, there, there are 11 uh, papers in the series, and each one of them, I think, tackles a very important uh, area of our social and human lives. And, and that's something that's been a little bit outside of the debate so far, but especially now we're in level two. It's really, really critical we pay attention um, to those those areas. You know, Jess, you say it is really, really critical. And, um, of course, uh, I'm, I'm right behind you on that. But perhaps you could also um, talk to us as to why it's really, really critical. Sure. I mean, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, that human beings are, are bodies, but they're also social creatures. You know, if mm. we don't uh, have our social worlds acknowledged and responded to, it's very difficult for people to... Uh, obey the laws for very long. And I think you saw that in lockdown, where at the beginning, uh, everybody was pretty much behind the government and stayed at home. In the first five weeks, there was a real sense of, of, of everybody following the rules. And after that, it really started to fray. And I think the reasons for that were because there'd be, there hadn't been enough engagement with how do people socialize? You know, how do people mm. celebrate? How do people make meaning in their lives? And Having that perspective included now is really, really important as we go back to what isn't really business as usual. We're, no. We might be going back to work, but we really need to do so in a different way to keep our loved ones safe. Um, and I think this question of trust becomes one of the critical themes uh, in the whole collection, where if people don't trust the government and if the government doesn't trust the people, uh, there are often real gaps. And so... What these perspectives are trying to, to help open up is how do we build better trust? And one of the ways through that is just acknowledging the multi, multiple facets of human experience. So Jess, and, and I stand to be corrected, so my apologies if I've got it wrong, because I read quite a few of the articles and I might 
be misplacing one of them from another article. But I think it was you that mentioned in your article that this was an opportunity to grow social capital. I thought that was really, really interesting. Was that you? Uh, it was me, yeah. Yeah, now the reason. Um, but I, I think others also mentioned it. Yeah, and the reason I thought it was really interesting was, you know, we've, we've had um, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture historically pushing on this idea of social cohesion, which is mm. a really actually wishy washy term in many ways. Mm. And yet, if you start to think about self regulation and the potential it has to grow social capital because we care for one another, we respect one another, we want to look after one another. I wear a mask not because um, I want to be, you know, but because I'm protecting you and so yes. forth. It's a very powerful notion that. Absolutely. So, yeah. just if you can just expand on that as well. Well, so I think there's actually an incredible opportunity here where you know, most people would acknowledge that the promises of 1994 haven't really been realized for most of the population. Yeah. Um, but if you take as a, as a working premise that most South Africans actually care about each other and care about the country to some extent, this is a real opportunity for mobilization around the kind of a new, uh, very sincere post-apartheid vision. And I think you see that in the emergence of community action networks and the kinds of ways in which in addition to all, responding to all the difficulties, South Africans have been really caring for one another. And people have become much more cognizant of, the, of those who live around them. Uh, there's been huge interventions uh, across social economic barriers and, and divides. And so there's a, a real possibility for mobilizing on that and saying, yeah. you know, can we be a country where people go to bed hungry at night? We're a food secure country. How do we mobilize on that, give people a kind of structure, a kind of meaning? And then really ask them to build. And I, I think if that were done with a little more strategy and a little bit more focus, you'd find an incredible upwelling of support from South Africans across the board. It certainly does raise an opportunity. And uh, I'm wondering if, um, if, if people have like actually thought about that as clearly as you guys have in this particular series or special edition. Jess, I want to ask you something quite, you are a senior lecturer in anthropology and I was recently reading something which spoke about the fact that we have now entered the Anthropocene age. Now that's quite unusual because it implies that humans uh, are, this is the age of humans, which is kind of disturbing given that we should really be part of a system which is a much broader uh, earth system if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. Is that something that you are engaging with in your work? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you can't teach a discipline like anthropology without engaging in that. And I think, you know, it's, it's certainly the, the era of the Anthropocene, but I reckon we've got maybe 50 years of that before it really becomes the era of, of post-human when algorithms start really dictating our lives. And so certainly in, in undergrad curricula that we teach and, and that others teach, uh, there has to be an engagement with that. I mean, how do you... Uh, reconcile the role that human beings have in the planet's destruction. I mean, we're also living through tremendous moments of climate catastrophe. Yeah. And so it's, it's critical to engage with that and also to really raise the questions of, well, what comes next? Because clearly uh, algorithms in the digital world um, are starting to have a huge amount of influence in our lives. And as a society, we need to be both acknowledging uh, the significance of, of, of what humans do on the planet, but then also really thinking forward towards what's coming. And again, um, COVID, the kind of tracking apps, the ways in which people uh, are engaging with conspiracy theories, you, know, you can see a lot of this stuff emerging as critical questions 
yeah. um, that we have to start thinking about. I mean, it certainly seems interesting that this is something we're thinking about at a time when something um, biological like a COVID virus comes in yeah. and disrupts in a way that never, ever, ever have we been disrupted like this before. That's well, true. I mean, I guess COVID also makes clear a lot of things that have been here for a long time and we just haven't maybe paused enough to, to consider. Um, and so, you know, it's devastating, but it also forces a bit of a reality check on lots of different levels. And I think that is quite useful. Jess, if people are interested in reading some of these articles, I mean, they're not long, they're page, two pages, but they are yeah. a very fascinating uh, output or outtake on uh, the the COVID-19 virus and its relation to uh, the humanities and the social sciences. How do they get hold of those articles? Um, so they're freely available uh, on the web. You just go to www.fajs.co.za and they're all available there. Fantastic. That's Jess Aubach, Senior Lecturer in Anthropology at the Northwest University. And I have to say there's some fascinating articles there. Tuli Madoncel has written something, Barney Petiana, uh, Howard Phillips looking at history and COVID-19, certainly uh, lessons that we could have learnt and that we could learn. We can go back as far as Spanish flu and probably even further. Then uh, there's Jonathan Jansen who talks about education, the fabulous uh, Prof Fasu Reddy from University of Pretoria, looking at sociology, the social aspect of the virus. And uh, the list goes on. It's a really, really good read and well worth um, having a look at and just giving you a different insight and take to the virus. It's 7.30. It's Zai time. You didn't leave your name, but we hope uh, it makes you feel a whole lot better. And that particular choice of song was left by someone saying, Good morning, Michelle. Can you kindly play me the song by Ami Faku, Indendlela? It's for my family down in the rural areas of Umtata, and I really, really miss them. So we hope that uh, that makes your day. And don't forget just to leave your name as well because we want to celebrate you and uh, your choices as well. Someone just sent us a WhatsApp saying, health and safety responsible behavior is Ubuntu. Ain't that the truth? That's the true Ubuntu. If we say I am because you are, then we must put those words into action and keep ourselves safe, safe by keeping others safe as well and vice versa. And obviously that's a conversation we're having around COVID-19 and wearing masks sustainable distances and uh, washing hands as well.